it is with a heavy heart that we start the second season, as we would like to dedicate this episode to the life and memory of Allie Melita Sebastian. Allie was a great friend to me, one of the best I've ever had, as well as being one of our biggest supporters. She supported me back when this podcast was just merely an idea, back in June of 2020. She was my rock when I needed one in the middle of the pandemic. I always treasure our friendship and always will. Ellie, thank you for the laughs and long talks. I love you, and we will all miss you. This is Sports in the 90s with your hosts, Dave Smith and Carlos Vega. I break bread with the Hennessy one. Hello and welcome to the second season of the Sports in the 90s podcast. In the first season, we covered all of the major sporting events of 1990. Now we're on the 1991. My name is Dave Smith and with me is my co-host Carlos Vega. Sup, dude? How you been the last uh, couple months? Been pretty good, Dave. I cannot complain. Life is great, and uh, you know I'm really happy to to come back for season two, baby. It's been a minute. You know, I, I definitely missed talking about sports with you, bro. <laughs> yeah, I took a little break. It was nice. Did a few things here and there. I uh, got the hockey jersey with the logo on it. Right on. Yes, but, sir. I saw that. Yeah, sent you a picture of that. So I uh, got to see the Chicago Wolves raise their fifth championship banner. Yeah, man. Calder Cup. Yeah, so that was really right cool. On. How was the game? Game was good. Yeah. It was a good turnout. Yeah, I've been to two games uh, since we've last done this podcast. So, yeah, good turnout. Yeah, man. They definitely uh, were li- uh, listening during the, the last season, and they you know reached out to us a couple times. So, shout out to the Chicago Wolves for uh, winning another championship. Yeah, man. Yeah, good stuff. So, yeah, how was uh, things on over there in sunny L.A.? L.A.'s going great, man. We had a little bit of a storm pass through us. We, we got some rain. But, uh, you know, the, the entire country is going through a crazy climate crisis right now. So, do you happen to see Buffalo? Dude, that stadium, <laughs> like six feet of snow is crazy. That is insane, bro. There was fans helping the Buffalo Bills players get out of their house. Like, they were shoveling and they had plows and stuff. Yeah, dude, that was, uh, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Shout out to fans for, for really, you know, supporting their team. Bills fans are they're some of the best fans in the league, man. They really yeah. are. I have a new appreciation for the Bills in the last couple of years, and then in re- doing research for this podcast, and it's they love their Bills and Buffalo. Bills Mafia is crazy. I love them. Yeah, man. They just are hardworking people that really never give up. And you know, I think this episode is going to be kind of a uh, a testament to how good not only were the fans during that Super Bowl run, but for uh, those players on the field, they never gave up. And uh, this season, 1991, those Bills were really a fantastic team and well-deserved to get to that Super Bowl. Yeah, in, in this episode, we're talking about the first big sporting event of 1991, Super Bowl 25, the New York Giants versus the Buffalo Bills. It was the Super Bowl that was patriotic as the United States was engaged in a war in the Middle East. It was the Super Bowl that had one of the best national anthems ever performed in any event, ever. Ever. It was a back-and-forth game that was decided with one play and by one point. But before we get into that, we'd like to introduce a new segment on Sports of the 90s that we like to call the Top 5. Every episode, we give ourselves a Top 5 topic. We each pick our Top 5. Then, here on the podcast, we compare. 
Yeah, man. So this episode's top five is the top five Super Bowls in our lifetime, besides from Super Bowl 20, which occurred on January 26, 1986, when the Bears won the Super Bowl. So top five Super Bowls in our lifetime, besides the Bears winning. Los, what do you got? All right. I had some time to think about this one, and it, it pains me to say that a lot of these top five, actually four of these top five, Happen to have New England. <laughs> I was gonna say thing. I'm like However, three of my five have Brady. When, <laughs> it's just if you make it to the Super Bowl that many times, there's probably a good chance you're gonna be in one of the best ones of all time. Right. right? <laughs> so that being said, I, at number five, I've got Super Bowl. What is that? Fifty two. Philly beating New oh, England with the okay. Philly special. What an entertaining game that was. Philly was not expected to win that game. You know, I always root for the underdogs in the Super Bowl anyways. And that was, you know, just a fantastic win. That team got to the Super Bowl and Nick Foles had an incredible playoff run, man, and culminated with, you know, the Philly special, which is probably the highlight of that game for me. Yeah, I mean, they had a hell of a season. And I think everyone who wasn't a Patriots fan just wanted to see the Eagles win because it wasn't the Patriots. I'm just tired That's of fair. I, I would probably be in that camp as well. So, yeah. yeah. At uh, number four, I have Super Bowl 25, the one we're about to talk about. Right on. This game was an absolute chess match. There were zero turnovers in the game. You have two of the greatest coaches in NFL history, and Marv Levy and Bill Parcells. Yeah. And it was a low-scoring affair. The time of possession that the Giants had is, was a Super Bowl record, I think, still stands. Yes, this is true. You know, so it was just an absolute fantastic football game from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, we've got Super Bowl 51. New England uh, yeah. over Atlanta with, uh, you know, the greatest comeback of all time. I mean, I don't know where you are when you were watching this game, but, man, in the third quarter when they were down 28-3, to dude, it did not look good for the Patriots. And somehow, some way, man, they got almost every break that you the football gods could possibly give a team. That Edelman catch, right. turnovers, like, you name it, they just absolutely found the will to win that game. Right. Yeah, so number two, we've got uh, uh, New England at uh, Seattle. Oh, 49. 49, right? Oh, yeah. Why, Russell? Why? <laughs> that was Pete Carroll's fault, man. Let's let's be honest. You know, those games are often decided by, like, coaching. And, you know, yes, the players on the field make the plays, but ultimately the game plan is what uh, can determine the outcome of the football game. You know, we saw it with, with the Super Bowl we're about to talk about, but... You know, that game came down to the wire. It was dramatic uh, in a lot of ways. And 28 to 24 is, you know, it was a pretty solid scoring affair. So, yeah. And then uh, number one, it's got to be the New York football giants over New England, 17 to 14. Super Bowl 42. Yeah, man. That was yes, unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there are very, very few people that took the Giants in that game. I was definitely rooting for them because nobody, you know, like I didn't want to see New England go undefeated that year. This is true. Yeah. With those front four, man, on the Giants' defensive line, man, they really made Brady uncomfortable. You didn't see him get that flustered in the pocket all season long, and uh, they really got to him. They made some incredible plays when it counted. The Mario Manningham catch. The helmet catch. The helmet catch. (sighs) David Tyree. I mean, just so many incredible plays that happened, and, you know, to culminate with that 40-yarder down the sideline to uh, set up that the game winner. It was was a pretty awesome game. So, yeah, those are my top five, baby. What do you got? Nice. Okay. Similar, similar. So, number five, 
Even though we're too young to remember, I'm going to go with Super Bowl 23 with Joe Montana, 80-yard drive, defining Joe Cool, and even joking around with his teammates saying, hey, isn't that John Candy over there? And then going down the field, scoring a touchdown, and winning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was the third Super Bowl they won. Yeah. So then number four, Super Bowl 36. As Patriots beating the Rams, Tom Brady becoming the stuff of legends. Yeah, yeah, that was a great one. I mean, up until that point, I think that was like the greatest Super Bowl of all time, right? Like they've just continued. That was to get up better, there, right? Yeah, and then Brady continues to redefine himself and be in these ridiculous clutch situations and deliver time and time again. And you're like, this guy's the greatest. This yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah, it was the start of something special for sure. Uh, number three is today's episode, Super Bowl 25. Yeah, both teams going back and forth. This is the first Super Bowl that I remember in my lifetime, mm -hmm. and it's always been a rem memorable one. And like, so we'll get into it a lot yeah, uh, we'll today. So it. this one's number three. Uh, let's see, number two, Super Bowl 51. Yes, 28 to three. So yeah, I couldn't believe it, but at the same time, you're like, of course, of course they come back. Of course Brady comes back from 25 down. And then he gets his jersey stolen yeah. from this guy. Yeah. So the whole story, I'll, I'll go sell, tell you the brief scenario because they did a whole like ESPN special on it. So this guy was with a Mexican newspaper, and he was obsessed with American celebrities, and he would go to the Super Bowl just to be seen, right? Okay. So he ends up in the locker room, and he steals Brady's jersey. And then Tom's like, where's, where's the jersey? Or, you know, everyone's freaking out about it. So finally... They find this guy. He's in Mexico. They had to get the whole Mexican government involved in this whole international affair. Wow. Wait, so how did he even get into the locker room to begin with? Did they... Because he, he had a press pass. Was it valid? It was with, or... It was valid, but he was, he's this type of guy that he has stolen jerseys in the past. He has Von Miller's Super Bowl 50 jersey. And he still hasn't given back. Like there's, this guy's got issues because he's he hasn't made it a point to go in a locker room and steal a player's game worn jersey. I mean, or he's the Mexican James Bond, Dave. Like, what? How do you get past all that security at the end of the Super Bowl, man? That place is right because yeah, like the, this guy was obsessed with being like in shots of people in the Super Bowl, meeting celebrities. Like this guy's obsessed. Okay, so they get the Mexican government involved. This crazy thing, and I'm watching this documentary, and they have this guy talking about it, and he's <laughs> saying, and and then Brady, and then Brady sees this guy talking, and he's like, well, you know, people make mistakes, and I'm watching this thing. I'm like, man, that's crazy. I can't believe the Falcons blew a 25 point <laughs> lead. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the craziest thing that happened. And, and then, After yeah, all that. yeah, that was pretty wild to hear that. Like, you know. Uh, the, the jersey got stolen after the game because I mean that yeah, shirt's it's crazy. worth a lot of money still, right? Yeah. Uh, so that was number two, and then we both have to agree with number one: the Super Bowl forty-two Giants shocked the Patriots, ruining their perfect season. Yeah, I mean, because Dave, think about it: if they go undefeated that year, they are considered the greatest team of all time. They're better than those seventy-two Dolphins, right? No one's done it in the 16-0 era. Now we're in the 17-game yep. era. Yeah, and, it, you know, Philly had a really great start to this season, too, man. What'd they go, 8-0 before they lost? They did. They yeah. did. Yeah. So. Yeah, I got, you know, I got their defense of a fantasy team, so it worked out well for me so far. Right on. Hey, how's your team doing, by the way? I know Lamar started off really was, hot, but uh, how's, how's the rest I'm of the squad I'm, like, doing? tied for first, so it's like a, I'm in the playoffs, but it's the last couple of weeks have been kind of rocky. Yeah. So Are you still – not a, you still running with with Lamar at, at 
I'm Omar. Omar. Oh, yeah. That was huge. I was yeah, going to say, he dude. T- Russian touchdown yesterday. Yeah, yeah, he did. He just hasn't looked like the same Lamar for, you know, from weeks one through four, you know. Uh, that was a low-scoring game for yeah. Baltimore yesterday, but I'm just glad he got a rushing touchdown. Yeah, their defense showed up for sure. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I picked up Justin Fields kind of uh, like week five, like right when he went on his tear. Okay. I missed out on starting him during that 44-point performance, but uh, I've been starting him every, every week since, and uh, it's been working out pretty well for me. So as we talked about in last season, protect Justin Fields at all costs. Unfortunately, he's been running for his life. It seems some of these plays obviously are designed because he's that athletic, but he just he absolutely needs more protection. And, you know, hopefully the Bears shore that up in the offseason, because at this rate, man, Justin is going to be the next RG3 if they keep letting him run as recklessly as he has been. It's entertaining as hell to watch. Don't get me wrong, but, Mm -hmm. you know, that guy's the franchise. So protect that man at all costs, Bears. Yeah. Hopefully he recovers from that injury. But yeah. He's the real deal, so let's, he is the real yeah, deal, man. let's keep him safe. Yeah, man. So yeah, I'm sure Chicago's buzzing right now for Justin and you know, granted Exciting. we don't we don't have the yeah. the record we want, but you know, we kinda saw this coming. So we'll see what happens. Next year's you know, we're gonna have like a top five, top six pick, so hopefully they draft somebody with you know, shore up that offensive line. Yeah, well yeah, we'll see what happens. So So yeah, that was our top five. We're gonna do that every episode. Yeah. These are gonna be more or less Various topics, you know, we're going to do uh, top five mascots, top five jerseys, you name it, we've got a top five for it. So top five commercials, we'll go into all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. So before we get into the Super Bowl, let's, uh, where do we start? We start from the beginning. So the 1990 NFL season was the 71st regular season of the National Football League. And for the first time since 1966, reinstated by weeks to increase revenue, thus spanning 16 games over a 17-week period. The New York Giants and the San Francisco 49ers became the first two teams in NFL history to start the season at 10-0. The Giants lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 12 and defending Super Bowl champion 49ers in Week 13. Meanwhile, the Buffalo Bills beat the Eagles Week 13 and the Indianapolis Colts Week 14. But it would be Week 15 that the Giants and Bills faced each other in Giants Stadium. It was during this game that Giants quarterback Phil Simms went down with a broken foot injury and was out for the season and replaced by Jeff Hosteller, who went on to lead the Giants to victories in the final two games of the regular season. Yeah, Dave, do you know the story behind that too with Hostetler? Because he, you know, obviously was a backup for years in the Giants organization. He was pretty frustrated, quite honestly, with with the lack of playing time. And earlier in the season, Parcells had pulled him after a start. And, you know, he, he had a, a pretty decent first half. And then in the second half, he told him that uh, Phil's going to start. And Jeff, you know, was like, what the fuck, man? Like, I where is this coming from? I was just playing pretty good. Like, why are you pulling me? Right. And that was just Parcells' way of testing him. He wanted to see if he had the, that sort of moxie in that, you know, that he wasn't going to be deterred. Up until that point in like that season, Jeff was pretty frustrated with his situation there, and he asked for a trade, uh, and they weren't going to trade him. So, you know, but... he sat on the bench, sort of sulking and and sort of wishing that he'd been in another spot. And doing some research for this, watched this interview with him, and he was talking about six weeks before the Super Bowl, he was sitting at a dinner table with his wife and telling her that he was done. He was going to be quit. He was going to quit football. This wasn't worth it to him. And then Phil Simms goes down in that game. 
And Hostetler said, like, come on, Phil, get up. Like, don't do this to me. And little did he know that that was the opportunity that he had been waiting for his entire career, right? Mm -hmm. So it's funny how life works out that way. He was completely questioning and and doubting himself. And then when the the moment came for him to step up and and be the man, that's what he was. Not only did Hostetler do that, but they're running backs as well. You know, Otis Anderson was a backup running back. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he came to the Giants, and when a lot of teams were overlooking him, you have two players who, you know, weren't in the ideal situations. But then when time came for their their number to be called, they uh, they really rose up to the occasion. And uh, yeah, that Giants team really had a lot of heart. For sure, man. Hell yeah, yeah. It was yeah. crazy that House Settler was on the verge of retiring, and then all of a sudden he's in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, man. The Giants finished thirteen and three, winning the NFC East largely due to the defense, allowing only 13.2 points per game and 211 points in NFL best. The Buffalo Bills had the best offense in the league, with 428 points scored at an average of 26.75 points per game. The Bills also went 13-3, winning the AFC East. The NFL expanded its playoff system from 10 teams to 12. Within each conference, the three division winners and the top three non-division winners with the wildcard spots. Winning their divisions, the Bills and Giants had first-round buys. The Bills had quarterback Jim Kelly back for the divisional round as he was also injured Week 15 against the Giants and missed the last two games of the regular season. The Buffalo Bills beat the Miami Dolphins in a high-scoring shootout 44-34. to In the NFC Divisional Playoff, the Giants faced the Chicago Bears. Many people were picking the Giants to win, but there were a few people on TV the night before discussing their predictions on Saturday Night Live. What did they call those uh, super fans, Dave? Those people were Bill Swirsky's super fans. That's right. With Joe Montaigne, a native Chicagoan, hosting SNL. Uh, this is when the first Superfan sketch aired. Yeah. The night before the uh, divisional round before game, uh, Bears Giants. Yeah. So there were the Superfans were picking their predictions for the Bears Giants game, in which they of course believe that the Bears will be victorious heavily. They also predict had predictions against God, right? Like oh, there were many. Yeah, yeah there were there were many. a few there were outlandish. Many Ditka versus the San Francisco 49ers, and then they several scenarios involving Ditka and. The miniature bears, if they were miniature. Uh, <laughs> yeah, classic episode. Yeah, that's great. So that, that was the start of a set of one of the greatest SNL sketches of all time. For sure. As you're, I'm sure, aware, the Bears are getting ready for their big playoff against the New York Giants. The Bears, the Bears are seven-point underdogs, but don't count them out. Now let's go around the room for some predictions. Pat, the Bears, 62 to 3. Okay, Todd, Bears, 79 zip. <laughs> oh, really? You, you don't think that the Giants will score? No, I do not. The Bears' defense is like a wall. You can't go through them. All right, how about you, Carl? I say Bears, 52 to 14. Oh, what? Come on! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I got to give the Giants credit. I think they'll give the Bears a game. All right, Lee Malone, that's his prerogative. As for my prediction, at game's end, uh, it, 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 at the game's end, there will be two teams of contrasting moods heading off the field, my friends. One glum, one gleeful. The gleeful of which being 
the Bears. The Bears. The Bears. 74 to 2. The AFC Championship game had the Bills face the Los Angeles Raiders, but without Bo Jackson. The Raiders were playing the Bengals when Bo Jackson, on a 34-yard run, got his leg cut up with a defender and his hip dislocated. The injury would end Bo Jackson's football career. And it wasn't even that gruesome of an injury. It was just so much... I don't know, you saw that play, right? You remember that play. Yeah, I mean, I think any football fan of that era can remember exactly the play yeah. you know it didn't look like in in real time like he you know wasn't able to get up from it just the way in which he was tackled just uh was unfortunate yeah. man. one of those freak injuries yeah Seriously. i guess there was just so much force and then that torque it just popped it out and you know you have to remember too man i think the game was a lot more physical the guys were able right. to get away with a lot more when they were tackling they didn't put a whole lot of emphasis on player safety back in that back in that era right so. yeah exactly well now without their star running back the bills beat the raiders 51 to 3 the nfc championship had the giants face the 49ers the 49ers were attempting to become the first team to win three super bowls in a row and before the game, Giants head coach Bill Parcells told his players to pack enough clothes for two weeks because if we win this game, we're flying straight to Tampa to go to the Super Bowl. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bold statement. It really is, yeah. Yeah, man. But that's, you know, confidence. You got to have that shit in the NFL, man. Exactly. And yeah, it's you or them. No in between, man. Right, exactly, exactly. Now, before that game, there was a Giants fan being interviewed. Let's see if you can guess who this guy is. I'm going to play a little clip. And I'm, going to see, right. I'm going to see if you can guess this this voice, this guy. All right. Guys from Jersey, we have we drink beer out of cans, you know, and it's Budweiser, and we don't have cheerleaders, and we don't have fancy stuff. We just know how to go down and make guys like Joe Montana feel sick. He's a rock star, for, rock star from Jersey. Oh, J- Jovi? John Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big Giants, he's a Giants fan. fan. Yeah, he's, you know, so it, th- this was the first Super Bowl that two teams from the same state were in the, the Super Bowl, but technically the Giants play in New Jersey. Yeah. And bon jo- yeah. Yeah, Bon John Jovi's a big Giants fan. Isn't <laughs> bon John Jovi? Bon- John Bon Jovi. Bon- bon- <laughs> John Bon Jovi, there it is. There it is, there it is. We got it, yeah. There it is. No. John Bon. John Bon Jovi, yeah. And speaking of rock stars, here's another take on the Giants-49ers rivalry. There's no love for the 49ers. It always started out there, Huey and the Bad News coming out and singing the national anthem and all that. That put everybody in a bad mood right off the bat. That was Bill Belichick talking about Huey Lewis and the news. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I was wondering. I'm like, that sounds like Bill Belichick. Yes, <laughs> he was talking about Huey Lewis. I guess he's not a fan. But doing some research, I found out that John Bon Jovi and Bill Belichick are really good friends. Is that right? So, <laughs> in this dates back to the Giants days back in the '80s. Where Bill Belichick was defensive coordinator. Interesting. And I Googled, what kind of music does Bill Belichick listen to? And he's a rock guy. He likes Beatles, Bruce Springsteen, U2, and obviously he's a Bon Jovi fan. <laughs> right on. 
Yeah, that's funny. That is really funny because I was like, is that? I thought you, I thought you were playing <laughs> another rock star. Uh, I couldn't find not. a good way to segue into that. <laughs> uh, that's, but I guess in, in some some sense, some circles, is a rock star. Is a rock absolutely. Star, so. so. Fair. Touche, friend. Uh, so it was a low-scoring affair with the 49ers having the lead 13-12 to in the fourth quarter. They attempted to run out the clock, but Giants nose tackle Eric Howard made a key play, knocking the ball out of running back Roger Craig's hands that ended up in the hands of Giants linebacker Lawrence Taylor. The Giants got the ball downfield close enough for a 42-yard field goal by Giants kicker Matt Barr, to win the game with no time left. find it funny that in fitting that the kicker's name is Barr and he still had that single bar across his helmet. I think we were talking about that the other day. Yeah, man. Man, such a throwback. Classic, dude. I, I wish more kickers nowadays were still rocking that single bar helmet. Yeah, so like, apparently it got phased out. That's why you don't see any kickers. They can't anymore. Like They made a rule, I think it was like 94, 95. Right. Where like the last guys were grandfathered in, and the last yeah. guy to wear it was like 2009. But yeah, man, you don't see that look. And that that's that was like the fun part of rewatching this game again was that you know the the Super Bowl I should say is that you know all the helmets like the face masks that they had you know when you see like Daryl Talley had this mm-hmm. four bars across his face you, you know they just had really different helmets compared to nowadays and such such a throwback to a you know a bygone era. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> So the stage is set. You have the AFC champion Buffalo Bills with their high-powered, fast-paced, no-huddle offense against the NFC champion New York Giants with the defense that was ranked 6th all-time by ESPN.com. The defense was led by legendary linebacker Lawrence Taylor and... Not salt, but... Pepper Johnson? The Buffalo Bills were favored by six and a half with a total points over under of 40 and a half. The game took place at Tampa Stadium in Tampa, Florida, which was the site of Super Bowl 18. Super Bowl 25 took place on January 27, 1991, and was broadcast on ABC featuring the Monday Night Football broadcast team of play-by-play announcer Al Michaels and color commentators Frank Gifford and Dan Deardoff. CBS aired the game nationally on radio with Jack Buck doing play-by-play and Hank Stram as color commentator. The game was broadcast in the UK on Channel 4 in Mexico on the, let me see if I can get this right, Canal de las Estrellas. The double L sounds like a Y. So es, es, Estrellas. Estrellas. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, Estrellas. Yeah, channel. there you go. Channel. <laughs> I'm <laughs> getting there. <laughs> You got it. Channel the stars, okay. bro. All right. All right. <laughs> Estrellas. Estrellas. Okay. Yeah. In Canada on CTV, in Venezuela on Venevision, as well as in Australia and Russia airing the game for the first time. Nice. Besides from all of those countries carrying the Super Bowl, this marked the first time the Super Bowl was carried in most countries around the world because of much bigger events that began to take place 10 days earlier. U.S. coalition forces began Operation Desert Storm with airstrikes on Iraq and Kuwait in response to Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. The United States had hundreds of thousands of troops on the ground in Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the Persian Gulf. The Armed Forces Network was carrying the game so that all of the troops stationed overseas could watch the game. 
Fearing the possibility of a terror attack, security was super tight at Super Bowl 25. Yeah, understandably so, man. The country was in a really heightened state at that time, man. I mean, we were just kids, obviously, but even then, there was just this uh, sense that something really serious was happening. And then the way in which they were documenting the, you know, on the nightly news, being able Mm -hmm. to see these sort of night vision expeditions or or missions that was really uh, something that we hadn't seen for in in a very long time, you know, pretty much since since Vietnam, right? Yeah, haven't seen major combat. So I remember, like, you know, all the yellow ribbons that were around trees and public buildings and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The level of patriotism at that time was at an all-time high. Absolutely. The biggest sporting event on the American calendar takes a backseat to the crisis unfolding in the Gulf. The concerns of all Americans are not just on the football game. Know our hearts remain with our fighting men and women in the Persian Gulf, and extreme precautions have been taken here today to see that this contest is not disrupted and that the folks gathered at Tampa Stadium are safe. Early this morning, hundreds of law enforcement officials poured into Tampa Stadium. They checked underneath the hoods of cars and inside the trunks. Meanwhile, FBI agents inside a U.S. Customs helicopter studied the stadium. Kind of gives a good snapshot of, like, uh, what it was like during that time. Yeah, it's never, uh, you know, an easy thing when a country goes to war or when, you know, we're in the middle of a conflict. But it's just, uh, it always seems that during those times, sporting events seem to bring the country together in a way that no other uh, event mm-hmm. can, you know. Right, exactly. So, yeah, common practice nowadays to, for security to be that tight in a post-9-11 world, but unprecedented in the early 90s. For sure, man. The stage is set. 73,813 are in Tampa for the most patriotic Super Bowl of the 20th century. If it looked like everyone was waving a small American flag, it's because every seat had one. Yeah. To honor America and as a salute to the troops overseas, the national anthem was sang by Whitney Houston, accompanied by the Florida Orchestra. The Star Spangled Banner was performed in 4-4 time, a little slower than it normally is. The anthem itself was pre-recorded a few weeks earlier in one take. Even though it was pre-recorded, Whitney did sing it at the game as well, and it's considered by many to be the greatest performance ever of the national anthem. Yeah, Dave. I rewatched it this morning just to get a sense of how good it was. And the way in which she's, she's singing that song so effortlessly and passionately and with so much joy and conviction, it gives you absolute chills man like i i watched it and i felt even more patriotic than you know a minute before i had watched it you know what i'm saying yeah like it was just the essence of what it is to be a you know patriotic what life liberty and the pursuit of happiness is about right that performance alone really just stands the test of time so if you get a chance please go and rewatch that national anthem because you know we, we talked about one of the worst ones last season we did. <laughs> and Last episode, we so, talked about one of the worst anthems of all time, and now we're talking about one of the best. So it's a, it was really refreshing to hear that one. Amen. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man, it was uh, one of the most beautiful renditions I'll ever hear. Right, and that anthem at Super Bowl twenty five will be featured in an upcoming movie about Whitney Houston. I don't know if you heard about this. About They're doing this. a biopic, right? They are. It's coming up. It's actually coming out. One month from today as the recording of this episode. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, I watched the preview last night. It was it looks really good. I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure it's gonna be, man. I'll definitely check out that trailer. Yeah, it's called "I Want to Dance with Somebody," starring Naomi Aki as Whitney Houston. Uh, the coin toss was done by Pete Rozelle, the recently retired former commissioner of the NFL. Buffalo called heads, and it landed on heads and elect to receive. Oh, you know, before we even get into the game, Dave, could I? Yeah, just point out because I there were a couple things that I noticed. uh, Okay, you know, with like the opening or like the pregame, I love the fact that the game uh, over the the loud system. They were they started out, you know, they have music playing in the during the pregame, and on the broadcast you can hear black boxes. Everybody, 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 everybody. Nice. So that was that was a fun (laughs) throwback. Bam, bam, ow. And now, ow. Yeah, man, it's classic. And then also during the intros of the players, you know, they introduced the Bills first. And, you know, they have the players come and running out of the tunnel and they introduce, you know, the starting lineup. And at the end, it seemed like there were more Giants fans at the game. Did you notice that? It's hard to tell with Super Bowls sometimes, really. Personally, I didn't notice. Um, It seemed like they got like more of a pop. From the crowd, I would I would say maybe a little bit more as the game progressed. Was my impression that I get? If you rewatch the intros, you'll know. I think you could tell whether or not who the fans at the game were. It's not by much, but it sounded like there were more Giants fans in the stadium than there were Bills fans. More people from New York. Go to I mean, you know. Yeah, versus New that. York, right? But yeah, you know, the one thing that I did notice as well with the intros, I, I think this may have had something to do with the outcome. May may have not. I don't know. But Marv Levy, you know, they announced the head coach as the last person to be announced. He actually ran out of the tunnel. Nice. In his Bill sweater that had way too much drip, he right. actually ran out with the team. Nice. And when Bill Parcells was, he was already on the sidelines, like business as usual, just cold as ice, already ready to, to get the game going. But I, I found that pretty entertaining that Marv Levy ran out with the team at the end. And- no, that's great. Like, yeah, Marv Levy's got the energy. He's got the pep. Plus, Parcells has already been in the Super Bowl and won it. So he's like, I've been through all this already. Marvin Levy, he's yeah. the first Super Bowl's head coach. So he's pumped. He's excited. I know, right? Coached it 35 years and finally gets to the game. That was pretty awesome. But then on top of it, man, that, that sweater game, those early 90s sweaters, man, you can't, you can't that beat Bill's that. That Bills one man. is that's great. But yeah, no, those are just a couple things that I noticed before the game. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's great. So there were a few predictions from experts on the radio broadcasts about the outcome. Let's check in with our experts now and find out how this game is going to go. Jack Buck, what do you think? Well, I think having won the coin toss and electing to receive the ball gives Buffalo a chance at the outset to show off that offense they brag about. And I think, Hank Stram, the Giants like it just like that. Well, I think they're they're very happy about the fact that they lost the toss. Uh, They'd be able to show off that defense and try to establish something right off the bat against that no-huddle offense. And if they stop him and make him kick right off the bat, I think it's going to be an indication of what's going to happen during the course of the game. John Madden, your quick thought. Yeah, I agree with Hank. I think this first drive is going to be very important that the defense have to establish himself. I believe in the Giant defense, and I think the Giants are going to beat them. Yeah, it's a good prediction from Mr. Madden. Yeah, he was pretty spot on, Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I mean, if there's uh, anybody who knows the game of football, it's that man. So in this game, you have the most potent offense against the strongest defense. How did the Giants plan on stopping the best offense in football? Well, what the experts didn't take into account was a 38-year-old defensive coordinator named Bill Belichick, who had an unorthodox plan to stop their offense. That crazy plan was to let Buffalo Bills running back Thurman Thomas get over 100 yards rushing. Yeah. 
They were just going to let him do it. They were like, we'll concede the run just so long as Jim Kelly doesn't kill us with the pass, right? Right. Defensive players were stunned. We're like, what? Yeah. You know, and that's the remarkable thing, too, Dave, was like they ran this 2-5 defense, right? So two linemen rushing the quarterback and five linebackers sort of just keeping an eye on the, the passing game. And for about three quarters, two and a half quarters, that really seemed to work until finally the the Bills were like, hey, they're letting us run the football, give the ball to our future Hall of Famer here. Yeah. And he started picking up yards in the second half. But mm-hmm. early on, they couldn't do much in terms of throwing the football in regards to the Bills. Yeah, because, I mean, those that Bills offense is dangerous when he wants to get the pass going and then they have no huddle. Then. Yeah, that was a time in NFL where teams weren't used to being on the field like that as, as far as defenses when they were, they were playing the Bills. They played that hurry-up offense, and, and they had weapons all around them, you know, speedsters that mm-hmm. could, you know, make, make you miss after the catch. And that's why they, what did you say? They were scoring 27 points a game, almost 27 points. Yeah. It's a hard thing. If you're going to compete with them, you got to score points. And so, you know, the game plan as well, not only on the defensive end was to, you know, let Thurman get his, but to control the clock and, Man, did they take it to him running the football. Right, yeah. I was going to say the Giants' plan on offense was to control possession of the football as long as possible. So it's another way of stopping Buffalo's explosive offenses by limiting the time they're on the field. Exactly. The contrast in styles was evident during the first quarter. After forcing the Bills to punt on their opening drive, the Giants took 6.15 off the clock by going down 58 yards in 10 plays to score a 28-yard field goal for Matt Barr. 3-0 Giants. The Bills answered back on their next drive going 66 yards, including a 61-yard tipped reception by James Lofton to set up a 23-yard field goal for the Bills. A lot of drives that ended up stalling out in the red zone, which was pretty impressive to see, honestly, because these two really potent teams, both offensively and defensively, looked like they were about to score at times, and, and then, you know, the defense on both sides of the ball showed up uh, in really key times of the game. Yeah, the, the score is tied 3-3. Three to three. After forcing the Giants to punt, the Bills' offensive strategy started to work, consuming 427 off the clock. Jim Kelly completed six consecutive passes as they went on a 12-play, 80-yard drive that was capped off with a touchdown, a one-yard run by Don Smith. The extra point is good, and the Bills now lead 10-3. When the Giants' offense were on the bench, the camera shows a close-up of quarterback Jeff Hostetler getting smelling salts from a trainer in response to taking a couple of big hits early in the game. Yeah, Dave, did you know the hit that uh, like sort of put him in that uh, smelling salt two. protocol? There was a couple there where yeah. he just got absolutely crushed. 300-pound defensive lineman just coming at him and landing literally on top of him. I mean, yeah. you know, that'd be a penalty easily in, in today's game. But back then, man, they, they let these guys hit quarterbacks. There there were no roughing the passers. I mean, it wasn't like the game you see today. It was much more physical. Yeah, those guys got away with so much more. Right. The second quarter started off with each team punting, and with a 43-yard punt, the Giants were back at their own seven-yard line. On second down... Giants quarterback Jeff Hostetler tripped over running back Otis Anderson, causing him to stumble and lose his footing. Meanwhile, Bills defensive end Bruce Smith got a jump on a lineman, grabbed Hostetler by the arm, 
but Hosteller was able to keep control of the ball, and Bruce Smith tackled him in the end zone for a safety. Bills now lead 12-3. That could have been a lot worse for them. Oh, man. If, yeah. I mean, I don't know how he held on to that football, honestly. You know, was, all his uh, might, yeah. <laughs> all his might, man. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce Smith was a beast, for sure. Dude, oh my God, yeah. With 3.43 left in the second quarter, the Giants got the ball on their own 13-yard line, who abandoned their long-drive strategy for a quick-strike attack. It would prove to be successful as the Giants went 87 yards downfield and scored on a 14-yard touchdown pass to wide receiver Stephen Baker, the extra point is good, and the score going into halftime is Bills 12, Giants 10. Quite a game at this point. That was a huge drive. Yeah, man, that was that was a really important drive for them because they needed to come up away with something before the half, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times, those kind of plays, those scoring drives right before the half can really give you uh, your team momentum going into the second half. And it proved to be true in this, this regard, too, because the Giants would come out in the second half and absolutely dominate the time of possession mm-hmm. especially on that first drive yeah for sure the halftime show was brought to you by disney walt disney and the nfl present a small world salute to 25 years of the super bowl it was a kid-centric show with a boy broadcaster kicking it off and 3,000 kids on the field singing it's a small world i will not sing that for you i will spare that yeah no i think we know how the song goes dave we don't we don't <laughs> we all know how the song goes yeah, thanks thanks for it was quite the production no i mean they definitely put invested some money into that production it was just a very odd choice of halftime though like i didn't realize what <laughs> like what was i even watching i watched it and i was like what did i why I don't know, man. It was it was confusing to me. They wanted to go as safe as possible, and it was like ridiculously safe. But it was also like a tribute to the troops, right? So that was a nice moment. They brought children of the troops on uh, the field. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was a nice touch. Oh, most certainly. And then yeah, I, yeah, that blonde boy singing "Wind Beneath My Wings." I thought that was it. A little weird. It, I mean, it was he, just uh, a nice job. But. He did a very fantastic job. I wonder what that kid is doing nowadays, Dave. Couldn't find him. I don't... But then they also had like four and a half minutes of new kids that were, it was like 10 minutes into the performance already. And that was interesting as well. Right. Because they, they sang one of their hits step by step. And they did their little dance number. Step by step. And then they come down the stage to sit on the the end of the stage and, and these little kids random kids come and sit on their lap and and they're singing you know what did, what were they singing we are the world this one's, this for, one's, the this one's for the children the children right. of the world yeah yes yes so, of course <laughs> so it's just a very weird and just uh all over the place production i was it makes you wonder what their motivation was for it. i guess disney was massive at the time right i think what it started to have happen yeah. with these halftime shows is that people would turn the game off and switch to another channel and these halftime performances weren't helping either. People would literally turn the game off and right. then they wouldn't come back to the game. So the NFL really had some serious creative decisions to make going forward because their ratings were being affected by some of these halftime shows. Right, yeah. And understandably so. 
I mean, because that shit was weird, Dave. It was just weird. It really was. They had oh, Donald Duck in a sombrero and El Pacho. They had Winnie the Pooh in a Canadian Mountie getup. Like, yeah, Mountie? Yeah. It was just all <laughs> over the place, man. And I get it. We are the world. But it was also the NFL saying, hey, the USA is the greatest country in the world. And the, the entire world is watching this. So let's go ahead and promote USA. Right? Mixed feelings about that one, Dave. Yeah. It really was weird. I'm like... So, I mean, I I appreciate Disney for what it is, but I'm not a huge Disney fan because I'm I don't have kids and um, but I just thought it was just a little too much. Yeah. However, if you were watching Super Bowl 25 back then, you didn't see this halftime show until after the game when it was shown on tape delay. Now, why didn't they air the halftime show at halftime? Because ABC had a special news report with Peter Jennings about the Gulf War. The news segment updated the progress of Operation Desert Storm, which started just 10 days earlier. More on that later in this episode in our segment, In the World That Week. Before we get the second half, let's talk about the commercials of Super Bowl 25. Yeah, I'm sure there's some good ones, man. So you had an ad featuring all-female rock band, the Go-Go's, performing their biggest hit, We Got the Beat, at a concert. When the band stops the show... Because they spot something in the crowd. They shine a spotlight on one guy and ask him, Excuse me, section E, seat 102, are those bugle boys you're wearing? (laughs) And he responds by saying, Why, yes, they are. We thought so, says the band, and they keep going. And then they just keep going into it? Yeah, it's pretty random. It's random. And you would never see that in an actual concert. No, no, Uh, we're not going to do that. No. But interesting choice. Not, not because of pants. They're not going to stop a show because of pants. And definitely not Bugle Boys. I mean, of, of all the pants. And not Bugle Boys. The Smothers Brothers in an ad for Magnavox TV introducing the Smart Window, a smaller second window on your screen that allows you to watch two shows at once, Ooh. which then became to be known as Picture in Picture. Yeah, it's kind of like what we're doing right now with, with the video conferencing right now. I got a little... With the video conferencing? A little Picture in Picture right here. So. Right. <laughs> Shout out. That was when that was like introduced. It was, it was during that time. Yeah, man. That was a big deal. That was a big deal, dude. Like, if you go, we went over to a friend's house, you're like, oh my God, you got picture in picture, dude? Wow. Wow. What technology? It's amazing. Hulk Hogan painting on the beach in an ad for Right Guard Sports Stick. The tagline, anything less, would, would be, be uncivilized. uncivilized. Yeah. Bud Bowl 3, the annual contest between Budweiser and Bud Light with beer bottles as football players. Bud Bowl 3 was an even bigger deal this time around, featuring Chris Berman from ESPN doing segments before the Bud Bowl. The big controversy was Bud Light signing a new quarterback, Bud Dry. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a quarterback controversy, eh? It's a precursor to Bud Ice. Yeah. I mean, America loved their beer, man. They still love their beer. Yeah, so there was a, there was a new it was brewed dry a dry brewing process, which I'm not familiar with. But I'm like, we can't brew something dry. That's crazy. <laughs> but I guess you can. They figured it out, Dave. Yeah, it's like dry cleaning. It's not technically dry. You're just not. I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> I digress. Yeah, the, fir- the first commercial of the uh, Bud Bowl was the kickoff, and the kick was so hard that it flew out of the stadium, flying up in the sky, past the SeaWorld blimp, 
And the hang time was 17 seconds before they cut to the booth. Now, that's something you don't see in football games anymore is the hang time on the kickoffs and punts. I guess it doesn't really mean anything. That's why they eliminated it. Sure. But it was always just a fun novelty to see how far the ball would be in the air yeah. on a punt. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too, with the Super Bowl is that they usually bust out, you know, these networks are waiting for this game all year long so that they can showcase what it is that their, you know, production can do, especially when it comes to graphics Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. So every year during the Super Bowl, you get new different graphics, new different segments. And yeah, that hang time one, that was fun for a little bit. It was, it was. But it's completely unnecessary. It really is. You're like, oh, that's why I got rid of it because it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, it's a, it's a pointless <laughs> stat, right? It has no meaning on the game whatsoever. It's like, oh, man, that kick was in the air for seven, seven, seven and a half seconds. That really affected how the ball, how the guy carried the football after that, like, right? No, it does. Like, right. Yeah. It means he was ready for it longer. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, Bud Light pulled out a dramatic win. Dramatic win that had the marching band on the field. So the Bud Light charges through the marching band and wins in dramatic fashion, twenty-three to twenty-one. Oh, so they stole. Uh, they stole the uh, play. They stole that the little gimmick. The band is on the field. Yeah, they they did that. Ah. Yeah, <laughs> that was a nice ah. touch. All right. And even some of their offensive linemen were forty ounce, forty ounce beers. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> to to make them look. Like proportionately the, different from the other bottles, right? Because one guy was he would they called him the freezer. Sure, that was his nickname, like the fridge. Yeah, they, he's a forty ounce bottle. I'm like that is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, See, there's a commercial where a girl is learning how to ride a bike without training wheels. This is a big moment in the life of a child. I I can specifically remember. Oh yeah, the first time I rode a bike sure. without training wheels. That's a big moment, right? Definitely. So she rides on her bike. She, she's on the street. She keeps going. She keeps going. And her dad's like, hey, where are you going? She says, I'm going to McDonald's. I do it. <laughs> I, I, was, I was waiting for that. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, because when you're a kid, that's what you want, man. You go to get, get yourself a Happy Meal without any money, of course. <laughs> How's this child going to pay for her McDonald's? Yeah, she didn't think about that. She didn't yeah, think about that's that. That's going to be a life lesson for her. Exactly. I would love to see the sequel to that commercial. Ray Charles in a series of Diet Pepsi ads. You got the right one, baby. Uh-huh. Let's see. You got the right one, baby. Now, there's one ad in particular that has everyone auditioning and doing different styles of it. I don't know if you remember, remember that one. No. No, I don't. But I do remember the Ray Charles one. Yeah. Pepsi had some of the best commercials during the 90s, they period. They really did. They had yeah. to compete with Coca-Cola, and they were always considered second, you know, the second best cola Pepsi or whatever. Pepsi was second fiddle with Coca-Cola. So how do they compete with them? They make better commercials, and yeah. they got every celebrity and athlete they possibly could during the 90s. We'll probably do a top five of those, mm-hmm. too. Top five Pepsi commercials. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a bunch. I mean. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. I had to dig deep and see all the good ones and then be like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. And I actually just saw a uh, special on Netflix about that. It's called Pepsi, Where's My Jet? Have you heard, heard about yeah, this? Yeah, I, I was reading the review. Yeah, yeah I was reading Rover's review of the paper. It was really good. Yeah. No, was, so I'm like, I got to check that series out because I heard, I remember that happening. Definitely. Yeah. No, I started <laughs> watching some of it yesterday. It's good. Yeah, it's throwback for sure. Very bizarre. Very bizarre story. I remember that commercial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seven million points. You could get a, a Harrier jet. 
a Harrier jet. They didn't have any disclaimer in the screen. That's why it's like mm-hmm. all these commercials now, no matter how ridiculous their claim is, they got to have, dis- have a disclaimer on the screen or someone's going to try and yep. take advantage of it. Because mm-hmm. um, I've I bought stuff with Pepsi points. Yeah. I think I still have a CD jacket right? that holds a bunch of CDs. Dude, it's so <laughs> funny because when they were like, oh, then they had this Pepsi catalog, I was like, oh, I totally remember that. Yeah, man. I mean, that was the thing during the 90s. They had, you know, you cut off points off of your cigarette packs, you could get. A leather jacket from Marble. Marble Miles. <laughs> or the Gotta Have It card. <laughs> Gotta Have It card. Yeah, man. That was mail-in rebates, dude. Bring those back. Yeah, you still have them. If I say Home Depot is like the only place that like regularly does stuff like that. But you know what? That's actually smart on the company's <laughs> behalf because they're expecting people to do the grunt work, so to speak, and cut these points off and actually mail them. And most people won't even do it. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah, if you scan a QR code or something. But Yeah. So let's see, we got a, a movie trailer. This movie uh, starring John Goodman has an interesting premise. The entire British royal family dies in a freak accident, and the next in line to the British throne is an American guy played by John Goodman. He is King Ralph. Dude, I've never seen that one. You ever this? No. I've never seen it. I remember it coming out and it being like, this movie's wacky. Yeah. And then seeing the preview now, and I'm like, well, this movie is wacky. So yeah. John Goodman, I noticed he was wearing a Cubs hat with a Packers jacket. What? I was like, what the hell? He's got a Cubs hat on. He's got a Green Bay Packers jacket on. Hmm. That's it's like, what the hell? Those two things don't go get along, uh, man. Yeah, and the, the director was David S. Ward, the director of Major League. You think he noticed that little detail? But I mean, that's a pretty major detail. You're a Cubs fan and really a Packers is. fan. That's hmm, something that doesn't jive. I know, I know they exist, but I mean, it's ra- there's, not many there's yeah, them. it's a rare breed, Dave. Yeah. So you had an ad uh, for a TV movie, Son of the Morning Star, a Civil War love story starring. Gary Cole as Lieutenant Colonel George Custer. Oh, man. I wish I would have watched that. Gary Cole's the man. He's a great actor. I love that guy. Yeah. You probably find it on YouTube. Yeah. That was early in his career. Oh, sure. Yeah. That was pre-Brady Bunch. <laughs> Pre-Brady Bunch. Yep. <laughs> Before he was Lumberg, yeah. he was Mr. Brady. Yep. Mike Brady. Pre-Brady Bunch movies. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, before he was Mr. Brady, he was Custer. Right on. A TV spot for World League American Football, otherwise known as NFL Europe. Remember NFL Europe? Vaguely. Vaguely. I don't think I ever watched it. I mean, I definitely didn't watch it, but... Yeah, there's a bunch of teams from Europe, and then they're like second tier teams domestically and they played each other. But like, it was like on a Saturday and like, I don't remember ever watching a full game. Yeah, it didn't last. It lasts a few more years, but did, keep trying to make the NFL a thing in Europe. But it's like, well, didn't we talk about that in the Madden episode that they had like European teams on in some of those games? Right. That they, they included uh, some of those NFL Europe teams on that on the game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, who's playing with these teams? People in Europe. <laughs> I, was just, I, mean, I guess so. Carl Malone in a commercial for LA Gear Shoes. Everything else is hot air. Ah, is that was that their tagline? Hot air. That's hilarious. That's not a dig at Jordan in any in any way, shape, or form. Or in response to the Reebok pump shoes that had just come out, right? That too. So yeah, I think he's trying to take a stab at Michael, 
And the Reeboks. Pump, <laughs> He's trying to right? fight Nike and Reebok. Twofer. <laughs> One. A little twofer. L.A. gear. Did those light up, Dave? <laughs> did those show shoes at uh, Carmelo? Those? I, Not that. I don't think those didn't light up. We no. don't see, you didn't see those for a few years later. Yeah. Well, I don't know why you need lights on your shoes, folks. I don't. I, never. I mean, when you're running at nighttime, Dave, you need, you need people need to see you. This is true. So, but... So yeah, there were two different ads for the Reebok pumps in this Super Bowl. So you had one ad with featuring quarterback Boomer Asiasen, and the other had reigning slam dunk champion Dominique Wilkins. Flying from the top of the key is easy. It's the landings that kill your feet. That's why I fly with the pump from Reebok. When I pump up, my size 13s get support, protection, and a custom fit. So, Michael, my man, if you want to fly first class, pump up and air out. Switch to the greatest sports performance shoe in the world, the Reebok Pump. Pump up and air out. BP had a commercial for their new brand of gasoline, BP Super with Ice Guard, to help prevent your fuel line from freezing. The ad had a man known as that BP guy, but in actuality, it was actor Gary Berghoff, best known for playing Radar on the TV show MASH. The finale of MASH, aired in 1983, still remains the highest non-Super Bowl viewership in the history of the United States, with 105.97 viewers. More than Super Bowl XXV, which only had 79.51 million viewers. The Nielsen ratings for Super Bowl XXV were 41.9, with a market share of 63. It's a lot of houses watching the Super Bowl. It is a lot of people, yeah. So yeah, back to the game. The second half started with the Giants getting the ball and keeping the ball for a long, long time. The first drive, the Giants had the ball for 9 minutes and 29 seconds, a then-Super Bowl record, which was eclipsed by also by the Giants in the opening drive of Super Bowl 42. Hmm. Now, the biggest play of that drive was a 14-yard pass to Mark Ingram on the 3rd and 13 to keep the drive going. That was a huge play with Ingram. Absolutely uh, needed that third down, and he did everything he could to get it. He caught the ball with like five or six yards to go and made a couple people miss, you know, just jumped for the the first down and got it. It was uh, really kind of a momentum shifter to keep that drive alive, for sure. Mm -hmm. The Giants drove 75 yards down the field in 14 plays in the span of that time, capping off the drive with a one-yard touchdown by Otis Anderson. The extra point is good, and the Giants now lead 17-12. to Bill Parcells' plan of keeping control of the football seemed to be working, as the Bills had not had the ball in nearly two hours of real time, including the halftime show. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Almost two hours not having the ball. The announcers really commented on it, too, and... and... If you're a Bills fan, you were probably wondering, like, what the heck is going on here, you know? The Super Bowls are always just super intense and highly emotional, and, and especially as fans, when you're watching them, every play, every single play matters, right? So to see your team not getting the ball back, it's it can be a, a little bit of a... It's energy drain. Yeah. Both teams have a set of downs where they don't convert. Buffalo has the ball at the end of the third quarter. On the screen, it is displayed that the Giants are 11-0 and 1-0 in the postseason when leading after three quarters. Yeah, I remember seeing that graphic. And it's always interesting when they pull up graphics like that, when 
you know, something that's never happened before in the game because uh, a lot of times it's like uh, they're sort of prognosticating, you know, and, uh, you know, very rarely do those things go in the direction that uh, or the opposite direction. Right. Right. Yeah. A lot of times they'll jinx it. Yeah. Yeah. Or they do. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like it's uh, but if you're a Bills fan, you see that graphic. That's uh, that's not a good good stat to see. Right. On the first drive of the fourth quarter. Running back Thurman Thomas scores a touchdown on a 31-yard run. The extra point is good, and the Bills are back in the lead 19-17. That Thurman Thomas touchdown was the 1,000th point scored in Super Bowl history, 1,001 with the extra point. When the Giants got the ball back, they went on another long drive. This time they took 7 minutes and 32 seconds off the clock on a 14-play, 74-yard drive, half of which came from passes from Jeff Hostetler to tight end Mark Bavero. So they uh, they managed to shave even more time off the clock. That's incredible, man, because seriously, you don't see drives like that anymore in the NFL. Uh, 14, 12, like 10-play drives that are just Mm -hmm. eating the clock up. It's super demoralizing for a defense when you can't get off the field. And yeah, I mean, they had the ball for over 40 minutes in this game, and that second half was, they just, it seemed like, if the Bills had just a little bit more time, they would have, uh, you know, put themselves in a position to to score more. But they just did not have the football long enough. Right. Yeah, that's a lot, what a lot of teams say. Like, we didn't lose that game. We ran out of time. Mm-hmm. The Bills managed to stop the Giants at the three when lineback Cornelius Bennett broke up Hostetler's pass, forcing the Giants to kick a field goal. The kick by Barr is good, and the Giants lead again 20-19. to on Buffalo's next drive, they only get to their own 41, forcing a punt. The Giants only get to the Buffalo 48, also forcing a punt. It was at this point in the game where the commentators point out that you mentioned the total time of possession at 40 minutes and 23 seconds. It's incredible, man. A Super Bowl record. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Belichick with his, uh, you know, his, his crazy game plan. Uh, his defense, yeah. So him, him stopping the run, and then Parcells saying we're going to control the ball as much as humanly possible. Yeah. And before the game, too, Parcells even, you know, they told Otis Anderson what the game plan was, and they asked him. He's like, "Are you ready to carry the rock twenty to thirty times?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with whatever, coach." You know, he mm-hmm. wanted that stage. He in college had predicted that he was going to go to the Super Bowl and be the MVP. <laughs> And uh, he had finally, you know, gotten his opportunity after years of being in Arizona and getting, you know, traded when, you know, people were counting him out. He, you know, came to this Giants team, you know, not the number one back, just came into the circumstance where he became the lead back due to injuries, just like Hostetler. And uh, he absolutely made the most of his opportunities, him and Dave Meggett. I mean, if you watch that game, dude, Dave Meggett looked like Austin Eckler on that football field. He was returning kicks. Mm -hmm. He was catching balls out of the backfield. Like they absolutely picked apart that Bills defense. Mm -hmm. And it was, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome to see that again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, The Bills have the ball on their own 10 yard line for the last drive of the game. Buffalo is down 20 to 19 and need a field goal to win the game. Bills quarterback Jim Kelly led the team down the field with a mix of scrambles, short passes, and runs by Thurman Thomas. The last one for a crucial 11 yards to put the Bills in field goal range 
at the Giants' 29-yard line. It's a 47-yard attempt for Bills kicker Scott Norwood. The kick is up, and no good. Wide right. With four seconds left, the Giants get the ball back and run out the clock for a stunning Super Bowl victory. The New York Giants have won their second Super Bowl in five years in a game that will be remembered most for the missed kick than anything else. Scott Norwood was an experienced pro who missed the biggest kick of his career, but the loss wasn't on him. All of his teammates consoled and reassured him after the game that it wasn't his fault. The Buffalo Bills had made several mistakes throughout the game that could have meant a victory. Yeah, the first half, I mean, they, they had some penalties that were pretty costly. You know, the offense, they weren't clicking like they, they had been up until that Super Bowl during the playoffs. They were, they were scoring at will pretty much and they just happen to run into a really fantastic game plan and you know what i noticed as well dave i don't know if you noticed this but during the game did you happen to hear lawrence taylor's name being called out on defense like for making plays because it seemed like he of course was you know he's the leader of that defense but it didn't seem like he had was involved that much? Yeah, that he didn't. He wasn't. He, I think he only had one tackle yeah. in the Super Bowl. It was it was cr- pretty remarkable rewatching it because I was like, when is Lawrence Taylor gonna his, like name gonna get called? It, he just didn't do much. He well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't he didn't have uh sort of that Lawrence Taylor like game that you know a lot of fans probably were expecting. Right, I guess it was more of a team effort in the secondary, so he just kind of was playing his role. Yeah. Bill Belichick says, do your job. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, you know, who was one of the first people to hug Bill Parcells after the game? Lawrence Taylor. LT. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, he was as yeah. crucial to that defense, even though he didn't uh, have the greatest game defensively. He uh, definitely made his impact felt because he was getting double teamed a lot too. So. Well, it's a funny story. Like Parcells was telling a story about, so Belichick was telling Parcells, he's like, hey, I just want to let you know that Lawrence, Lawrence was late to practice today. And Parcells like, well, why did you start without him? Really? <laughs> So he got he got special treatment. So yeah, Belichick's holding LT accountable as he does for every player, yeah. and he's saying, "Hey, I want you to know that LT was late to the meeting today. I want to let you know that." And Parcells is like, "Well, why'd you start without him? <laughs> <laughs> he is our defense." Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the guy could have missed every practice leading up to that Super Bowl. He still would have been, right. been a right. So he was just part of that great defense that just shut the passing game down. Yeah, for sure. Now Scott Norwood faced the music right after the game. He talked to the press, answering every question respectfully and honestly. And then when the Bills returned home to Buffalo, they were welcomed by 30,000 people downtown supporting their effort and chants of, we want Scott, we want Scott, as they wanted to hear him speak. Mm -hmm. Scott Norwood was overcome with emotions as he thanked the fans, assured them they will be back, and dedicated the next season to the fans of Buffalo. Win or lose, one thing remains clear. Buffalo loves their bills. Yeah, indeed, man. And like you said, Scott had to do an interview after the game in the locker room. And, you know, as as any athlete who loses a game like that, you're going to be as you know dejected as, as you can be, as, as, as yeah. anyone is. But uh, he took full accountability for uh, missing that kick. And he even, like, when you watch the interview, it, it, he, you know, even describes that, like, he didn't quite plant his foot. And, you know, for to, to his credit, man, 47-yard field goal, that's, that's no gimme, especially with the game on the line. Right. Outdoors, on grass. It could have gone 
uh, you know, it's game of inches, as they say. And uh, fortunately, they just came. Somebody's got to lose, right? So Bill showed tremendous character after the game. Right. They, they knew that they were seconds away from solidifying that really top season they had with a championship. Really did, yeah. But honestly, Dave, did you? if you rewatch the kick, dude, and you see where the football was placed, the laces are in. They're not out. Laces were in, man. Go, there was go back a and weird hold. It. Yeah, it, it wasn't like because like kind of you know nowadays you see the holder sort of spin the football depending on where it's at, and the laces definitely were not in front, dude. Yeah. Again, you can't blame the game on that one play, but it's you know it's one of those things that you could say, what if you know what if what if Buffalo does right. win that game? Do they do they still go to four straight? Do they win? four straight you know what i mean because sometimes right. all it takes is exactly. just to get over the hump to have that championship level mindset but you know someone's got to win someone's got to lose unfortunately and uh the bills came out just short in what was you know we consider one of the top three or four games super bowls of all time yeah it was a tough kick and it's talking about the pressure pack situation but yeah unfortunately the bills came up short the giants under bill parcells won their second super bowl in five years bill parcells went on to retire shortly thereafter Defensive coordinator Bill Belichick went on to coach the Cleveland Browns, and the Giants did not go back to the Super Bowl for the rest of the decade. As for the Buffalo Bills, they will be returning to the Super Bowl, not once, not twice, but thrice. So the next three Super Bowls in this podcast will contain these Buffalo Bills. Yeah, man, those Bills teams were damn good. And they had talent all over the football field. We probably won't ever see that happen again, going to four straight Super Bowls like that. No. I mean, as good as those New England teams were of the last 20 years, none of them, none of those teams did it. And, you know, there's so much more talent among the entire league that that is it's just extremely difficult to get to that game to begin with let alone win it and uh you know that was a a run for the ages but uh this first bills team man that was it was either you know this game or the following year that they probably definitely should have should have won but yeah like i think they're the greatest dynasty to never win a championship yeah definitely i mean it's definitely arguable so the the MVP of the game was uh yeah yes the MVP uh, Otis Anderson yeah Otis had uh had an incredible game he definitely made the most of his his opportunities and you know at the end of the game like they do they usually do they ask the MVP they ask players before the game they inter- they interview a bunch of, of players right and so they gave players two options right of things to say. One is like, hey, I, I just won the Super Bowl and we're going to Disneyland or Disney World. That's right. And the other was I dedicate this game to the troops overseas or something along those lines. Yeah. And that's so right. when yeah. when Otis won, instead of saying he was going to Disney World, he decided to say, that, you know, I dedicate this game to all the troops overseas. Yeah, that, that was really nice. That's right. And that's so, right. you know, yeah. I thought I found that to be pretty cool because, you know, he you yeah. could have easily been like done done the cliche disney thing but yeah yeah that was that was really classy of him to do that yeah for absolutely sure. I forgot about that so yeah thanks you thanks for mentioning that yeah man yeah like so we mentioned the the, the troops so yeah uh so now for a segment we like to call in the world that week a lot happened that week in the world as the u.s was engaged in the gulf war in the middle east in operation desert storm starting 10 days before the super bowl There was a lot to update the world about, so ABC decided to air a special news program with Peter Jennings at halftime instead of showing the halftime show. In Mina Ahmadi, 
Kuwait, the Iraqis pumped 100 million gallons of crude oil into the Persian Gulf, threatening U.S. military operations and Saudi Arabia's drinking water. The U.S. military was able to cut off the oil being pumped with a series of airstrikes and even foresaw something like this coming because Saddam Hussein previously said he would use oil as a weapon. I don't know if you had a chance to watch this report at all. Did uh, I checked out that link that you sent? It's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty telling of of what the current situation was. It was very serious, you know. And I mean, how many thousands of gallons, Dave? Did you say it was a hundred million? Jesus, of like, crude oil. Like, yeah. Who knows is that if that spilling all into the Gulf? That even is still affecting their drinking water today. You know what I mean? That's That doesn't just go away. Right. Exactly. And so to put it in perspective, man, that was like, that traveled like almost half the country down after that spill. Yeah. So it went all the way down the coast of Kuwait and bleeding into Saudi Arabia. And that was just the beginning of the war. You know, the war was like barely two weeks old. Right. Yeah. Other reports include the U.S. use of airstrikes against Iraq, as well as Saddam Hussein's use of landmines and the U.S.'s response. So Saddam Hussein had the largest collection of landmines in military history. It was estimated that half a million landmines were put in. Uh, the report shows a Marine major who's a specialist in mines explaining how Saddam got the mines and how dangerous they are to drive home the point to show how serious the threat was. I don't know if you saw that. If they ever make a movie... I think that that major should be played by Kevin Costner because the guy sounded just like Kevin Costner. If you saw that clip where the guy was talking about landmines, no, no, I didn't. That was a little later on in the clip, oh, yeah. but he's like, "These are heavy explosives. You step one of these, you're gonna eat it. <laughs> There's gonna be nothing, just blood, spurts coming out. They're not gonna be able to collect anything out of you." And he's like being like, he's giving real with these troops, you know? Sure. Dang. No, I thought that was a very interesting that they showed like this guy actually talking about how dangerous these mines are, how Saddam got them. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, because, you know, again, at that point in 1991, like people were completely oblivious of what was happening. And so it was pretty important to have reporters like Peter Jennings telling the American people what was happening overseas. And Mm -hmm. uh, war isn't pretty. So, you know, they're going to document it uh, as, you know, real as it is. And, um, you know, it was pretty eye-opening to see, you know, what, Mm -hmm. what the troops had to endure and, not you know the the level of destruction that was being not only placed on the, the right. Iraqi people but the consequences of all those at the region actions. at large yeah 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 at the region at large I mean yeah so the U.S. military wasn't eager to get into the ground battle because of how serious it actually was on the ground so they relied on tanks and air power for the Gulf War see another sports. The Australian Open final was held on the same day as Super Bowl 25, with Boris Becker beating Yvonne Lendl. The number one movie at the box office? I'll give you a few hints. In its 11th straight week at number one, it grossed $7.2 million. This movie was the top-grossing movie of 1990. Home Alone. Home Alone. 11 straight week yeah, at man. number one. Yeah, dude. That movie was hot fire when it came out, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's still. So it's still I most mean, from the holidays. Home Alone to this it's day classic. is still the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Which. It's, yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's we like. should probably. Story, Home Alone. Should, dude, we're doing top five Christmas we, movies. We got to now. I mean, we, we <laughs> talked the, about it a few times in one of this season? podcast, so. 
Uh, we both have our number one, right? <laughs> I mean, at least that's my number one. I'll give you my four later. It's but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as we get closer to the holidays, we'll go over our top five Christmas movies. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we can do that for the next Why one. Not? <laughs> I mean, if you've got any ideas, uh, listeners out there, let us know. It's sorts of the nineties at gmail.com or just slide into our DMs. We're out here. We'll, uh, we're take. We're, we're on the socials. Yeah. yeah we're, we're on Twitter while it's still around. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. Uh, that's, that's another thing too that I forgot that happened while we were away from this podcast. It's like, dude, what the hell is happening with Twitter, man? Elon is There's a dumpster fire going on at shnikes, Twitter headquarters. Man. He's fired over 3,700 employees, people, you know, it's. It's like a firing squad over there, man. And then he's like, oh, wait, I need you back the code. And they're like, dude, like, screw you, Elon. <sighs> it's just, it's, it's crazy. This is the world we live in, Dave. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's These so deep. the hands we're given. A wild time. Quote Phil, <laughs> the quote Phil Collins. This is the world we live in. These are the hands we're given. Uh, oh. uh, let's see. Oh, uh, so in that week, the number one song in Australia. All right, stop collaborate and listen. listen ice is back with a brand new edition yes ice ice baby yeah and he was the host um when joe Montana hosted snl he was the guest ice fiddle ice was the, was the musical nice musical guest <laughs> nice <laughs> all the way down Pardo used to say that that was great yeah oh. yeah uh, so anything else you want to any thoughts you know i don't know man i think we i think we covered I, I'm, most of I'm it pretty tapped out <laughs> i mean i don't know what else uh from that game at uh no turnovers ah there were no turnovers that game that's what i forgot to mention no turnovers yes yeah. and then four lead changes right yeah yeah back and forth back and forth you know that's kind of what happened these quarterbacks weren't throwing the ball nearly as much as they do nowadays and you know how do you limit your turnovers you run the football so you know this game featured both teams being able to do that more than than you usually see nowadays so you know uh like I said earlier, it's a, it was a chess match. You had two really fantastic teams, both like probably the the two best teams that year in the Super Bowl, offense versus defense. And as mm-hmm. they say, defense, you know, wins championships. So championships, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a great one to say the least. And uh, but we would see very, well, we would see a ton more classic Super Bowls after this one. It was just a. Uh, this mm-hmm. one of the first of the decade to really stand out for a lot of different reasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that about wraps it up for another episode of Sports in the 90s. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you've had as much fun listening to this episode as we've had making it. Tune in next episode when we talk about WrestleMania 7, another big sporting event with a patriotic backdrop. Heck yeah, man. Dude, are you kidding? Yeah, that's gonna be fun. That's yeah. gonna be a great one. So yeah, man, uh, I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon, Dave. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, so yeah, let us know what you think. Comment on Facebook, Twitter, while it's still around, Instagram, and Reddit. You can also email us at sportsinthe90s at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Dave Smith, Carlos Vega, reminding you to think when you drink and to reduce, reuse, recycle. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sports in the Nineties. It's been great, man. Great to be back. Yeah, you know it, brother. I'll talk to you soon, homie. All right, brother. Peace out. Peace and love, y'all. Peace and love. They get scared when I pull my mic.